Good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful for Jim Price and for the Haiti team and want to put in a plug for next year. If, if the trip goes, I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider going with them and seeing those beautiful kids. And um, Jim really preached my message in just a few words and tears. But um, I want to say good morning. And, um, you know, my son lives in Alaska, and there was a big earthquake up there. And family members were texting him and saying, you know, Nate, are you okay? And, um, in fact, then Bill texted me and, and said, is Nate okay? How close was he to the quake near Anchorage? And I said, not close, he's fine. He sent a tongue-in-cheek text to the family that he is dead. <laughs> Brian and Jason both independently responded by asking him if they could have his truck. <laughs> he said no. Well, the kids sang, this is the day the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. If they can be glad and rejoice in it, so, so can we. Amen? So let's pray together. I'm praying. We're going to focus on hope this morning, our hope uh, in the future that awaits us in Jesus Christ. And um, let's just pray for an explosion of hope in our hearts especially for any in our body who are in a dark place or a time of waiting upon the Lord for some need that they have. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would wash us in your word, Lord, especially this word about hope and what is our biblical hope. Father, for those who are in a dark place, for those who have been waiting on you for a long time, for those who are discouraged or cast down, we pray that the first advent of this Christmas season, that there would be an explosion of hope in our hearts, that nothing would diminish our zeal and our hope in you. We thank you for this body. We thank you for the love that's here. We thank you that we're in it together. And we pray that now together we could study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's an old Calvin and Hobbes comic strip where, where this conversation takes place. Calvin speaks to Hobbes and says, live for the moment is my motto. You never know how long you got. In the second frame, he explains, you could step into the road tomorrow and wham, you get hit by a cement truck. <laughs> then you'd be sorry you put off all your pleasures. That's what I say, live for the moment. He thought a minute and then he asks Hobbes, what's your motto? Hobbes replies, my motto is look down the road. Well, today we begin the Advent season with the first Advent candle, which, as you know, is the candle of hope. We heard a few minutes ago that this candle reminds us that God promised his people 
that a Messiah would come, and he fulfilled that promise. He sent a Savior, a Deliverer, Jesus Christ. The candle reminds us that the prophetic, the prophecies were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ, and it invites us not only to contemplate that promise being fulfilled, but to look ahead to Christ's second coming and the promises that await us. But um, what is biblical hope? Christianity is certainly a religion of hope, wouldn't you say so? It's a religion of hope, and yet biblical hope is, is kind of tough for me to, to really get clear in my mind. Is it different than how we conceive of hope in our current culture? How is it different than faith? Faith and hope seem to be closely aligned, at least in my mind. And yet, since in 1 Corinthians 13 it says, now faith, hope, and love abide, there has to be some difference between faith and hope. Well, as you dig into hope in the Bible, you quickly realize that hope in the Word of God is not like our current idea of hope. It's not just a wish. It's not just, I hope so. But it's a strong and very sure hope, the scriptures say. It is a joyful and confident and certain expectation that good things from God are down the road, are waiting for us. I was talking to Shirley Parrish this week, and Shirley got very passionate about this, this concept of biblical hope. And she said, Jim, it is so strong. She said, it's perhaps even stronger than faith. My mother taught me that hope is very strong. Samuel Rutherford, a Scottish preacher, once wrote, our hope is not hung upon such an untwisted thread as I imagine so, for it is likely. But it is a thick and mighty cable stretching down to our fastened anchor, which is the oath and promise of God, who is eternal truth. Our salvation is fastened with God's own hand and with Christ's own strength to the strong stake of his unchangeable nature. What a great quote about the strength of hope. Somebody has said, hope is the future tense of faith. Usually the focus in scriptures when it talks about hope in the New Testament is about our promised resurrection with Christ and in Christ, and our eternal life, and our heavenly home that await us. Faith, however, is in the now. It's in the present. It's not future. It's present. It's an absolute trust in God right now and what he has said in his gospel about his salvation, his truth, his word. Oral Roberts captured this, I believe, in that he requires every student at his university to take a course called Holy Spirit in the Now, talking about the power of God in the now. 
Let me explain the relationship between faith, hope, and love with a simple illustration. How many of you here love macaroni and cheese? Oh, baby. (laughs) Macaroni and cheese, to me, is like the most comfortable of all comfort foods. (laughs) I can go into a restaurant determined to have a salad. But when I see the words macaroni and cheese on the menu, the restaurant goes dark. (laughs) Neon lights are surrounding that word, those words macaroni and cheese. My mind goes into a trance. I become like Frankenstein. Macaroni and cheese. I need macaroni and cheese. I swear, it's true. Big bowl, macaroni and cheese. And uh, I've been thinking about starting one of those ketogenic diets, you know, as long as it allows a big bowl of macaroni and cheese in the middle of the day. I'll keep you posted on how that's going. (laughs) So imagine with me two little boys, brothers actually, who love macaroni and cheese like me. And they've never had as good a macaroni and cheese as their father makes them. And uh, their father is a really great guy. He does what he promises. The boys know that if he says, today we're going to build a treehouse, they know he's going to build a treehouse. If he says, I'll take you to a movie this weekend, they know that he's going to take them to a movie. If uh, he says, let's go camping, they know they're going to go camping. And so when he says, I'm going to make you macaroni and cheese tonight for dinner, they know they're going to get macaroni and cheese. They start yelling and freaking out with joy. And uh, we're getting macaroni and cheese tonight. I promise you I won't go on with this forever. But anyway. (laughs) They're bouncing off the walls with excitement so much that the dad has to run them outside so nothing gets broken. You see, the boys have absolute confidence they're going to get macaroni and cheese. But their faith is not in the macaroni and cheese. Their faith is in their father, who always does what he says he's going to do. Macaroni and cheese is just that gooey goodness that's waiting for them at the end of the day. They have absolute faith in their father. They don't even entertain the idea that they might not get it because their faith and trust in their father is absolute. Now, Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance. Faith is the evidence. Faith is the conviction. Not of the thing not seen. Not of the hope not seen but of the Father who is the source of that faith, the guarantor, the one whose character is rooted in his own nature. Jesus said, don't have, he didn't say don't have, he didn't say have faith 
in the thing hoped for. Have faith in macaroni and cheese. He said, have faith in God. Amen? And so these boys know that they're going to get that delicious dinner. They're joyful and certain hope is looking forward to it because they know they're getting it tonight. Well, where does love fit in? Well, perhaps they play together better that day with less fighting because they are so happy and looking forward to that delicious dinner from their father. Perhaps this is part of where love comes from. In one place we read, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. This morning I want to look at five exhortations concerning biblical hope. The first one that the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us to fix our hope completely on the grace that is to be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is from 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're not to fix our hope on stuff. We're not to fix our hope on people. We're not to fix our hope on riches. We are to completely fix our hope on God himself and what he has promised. Um, Job, in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 15, said, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. David, in Psalm 38, 15, said, For I hope in thee, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. In Psalm 42, verse 5, he said, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Paul, in Acts 23, 6, when he was before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and later King Agrippa, he said, I am on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 21, said, through him we are believers in God, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith and hope are in God. To fix our hope or to set our hope means to make it firm, stable, or stationary, to fasten it down. That's what we can do this morning to make secure, to firmly establish, to permanently adhere one entity to another. We see this fixed hope in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. Do you remember how they answered Nebuchadnezzar as he demanded that they worship uh, his gods and bow down to his image? In Daniel 3, verse 16, we read this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, don't you love that? But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. They're thrown into the fire or they fall into the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded to those and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly it was, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Hallelujah. I don't know how many of you have heard Oral Roberts preach his famous sermon, The Fourth Man. Oh, wow, what a powerful, powerful message. Like these great saints of old, I want to ask you to fix your hope completely on God and what he has ahead for us. Hallelujah. Secondly, the Bible tells us to hope against hope. Hope against hope. And the example here is Abraham. The verse is Romans 4, 18 through 21. This is where God promised Abraham that he would be a father in his old age and that many nations, uh, his descendants, would be great. Starting in verse 18, we read this phrase, In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. Notice that his faith grew. I think that's an important thing to recognize, that we can be hoping against hope for something, and yet in that process, our faith can grow. Hope can become faith in a sense. And being fully assured that, he had, of, uh, that what God had promised, he was able to perform, and it was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. To hope against hope is an idiom. It's a unique saying that means to continue hoping even when it seems impossible, even when the odds stacked against you are so great uh, that getting the desired result seems impossible. But we had a chance this last summer, this past summer, to hope against hope. How many of you remember the wild boars, the Thai soccer team that was trapped in northern Thailand, and um, how they were all delivered safely? They were a mile and a half deep into a cave, uh, kind of on a, a teenage um, rite of passage where you go into the cave, 
deep into the cave and you scribble your name on the wall and you come out. But they had gone in and the monsoon rains started and the cave flooded them in. There was no technology available, there is no technology available that could identify or locate where they were. Many thought the boys had perished after a week of rain, and so a search and rescue mission was quickly moving toward a recovery mission. But two British divers, nicknamed the A-Team, used only their skill and their noses. They would surface where they could, and they would sniff. On day 10, a mile and a half in the cave, they surfaced in a spot and they sniffed and they smelled what they thought was the smell of death. But out of the dark came 12 emaciated boys and their coach. Coming to see who had come for a visit. The divers were amazed at how calm the boys were. Imagine if you were those boys and you'd been in the dark for hours and hours and you see under the water lights, glimmers of hope, hoping against hope. Word quickly spread that they were alive, but now the problem was how to get them out before they were drowned or were asphyxiated or died of disease. None of them knew how to swim. Some were sick already. The Thai authorities hoped they could pump water out fast enough and air and nutrition in and wait out the monsoon season. They initially ruled out taking the, the boys out in scuba gear because none of them could swim, but mostly because of panic. Even adults cannot help but panic in a situation like that. And so how are these boys not going to panic? The Washington Post ran an article with the headline, Rescue of Thai Soccer Players Could Take Months. Then an Australian deep diver named Richard Harris came on the scene. This man holds all kinds of deep diving records. In fact, he's been down uh, 700 feet, over 700 feet, uh, at least once. And he was a veteran of many rescues and recoveries, and it was he who convinced the Thai officials that the boys would not survive uh, much longer. You see, Richard Harris just happened to be Dr. Richard Harris an anesthesiologist. He said the boys must come out soon and he knew how to tranquilize them so they could be taken out underwater the way they had gone in without panicking. And so over the next three days, a few boys each day were put, in, put to sleep, placed on stretchers between two divers, and with an air mask over their faces were taken out of the cave, sometimes waking up and needing to be shot again, even underwater. Dr. Richard Harris and other Thai Navy SEALs stayed with the boys the entire three days 
until every last person was extracted. The Thai Navy SEALs said on their Facebook page, we are not sure if this is a miracle, a science, or what, but all 13 wild boars are out of the cave. My view is that this is a good example of someone seeing a way where there is no way, Dr. Richard Harris, while the international community hoped against hope. The world, until the world, saw the victory. Sometimes God seems so far away, doesn't he, when we are desperate and in need of something. Doesn't he care? Isn't he involved in our lives as we have been led to believe? Maybe he's just a deist God who sets it all up and then folds his arms and steps back and says, we'll see how you deal with all of this. I want to ask you to hope against hope. I want you to remember that Israel had not heard a peep from God for 430 years. I want you to remember that Israel expected a kingly Messiah, and yet Jesus was born a baby and crushed on a criminal's cross. I want you to remember the apostles were sure Jesus was coming back in this, their lifetime, and yet here it is 2,000 years later, and we're still believing. I want to remind you that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. You know, we get disappointed when our expectations aren't met. But the truth is our expectations are often wrong. We are exhorted by the word to hope against hope. I want you to remember that macaroni and cheese is coming because God said it will be so. Let us always hope against hope. Number three, the Bible tells us to let ourselves be purified by hope. This time I want to turn to 1 John 3, 1 through 3. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking that some of us who are in the most dark and uh, difficult places are going to be those who are most like him when he appears. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, hope is a purifying power. It's a fortifying power. It's a power that allows us to live fearlessly and even above the fray with joy. This is not to say we never get overwhelmed or never despair, 
You know, it's fascinating to me that a few verses after Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him, he said, my hope has been uprooted like a tree. So Job had those times, obviously. He, God, breaks me down on every side, Job says, and I am gone. He has uprooted my hope like a tree. Even though we have these moments, we also read in Isaiah 40, Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Oh, let it be, Lord. Let it be of us that we wait upon you. God is faithful to revive us. Centuries later, Paul wrote, for everything that was written in the past was written to test us, or excuse me, to teach us, so that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Let us be purified by hope. Amen? As we look forward to our heavenly home, where we'll always be with the Lord. The Bible tells us forth to abound in hope. Abound in hope. This is Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. To abound means to have something in great quantity, in large measure, to overflow to hope and rejoice in great quantity. For our 40th wedding anniversary, Laura and uh, I went on a fancy schmancy cruise. And as part of the cruise package, we got to fly internationally business class. I have never flown business class. I have always wanted to fly business class. I remember being with Nathaniel's soccer team. We were flying somewhere, and one of the dads was a contractor who bought all his uh, building materials through a credit card that you know accrued miles. And so he was up in first class. I was back in coach. I could see him, and he could see me. And he turned around with his lobster and his glass of wine and just kind of lifted his glass to me. Oh, I wanted to smack him. <laughs> and then for years, that was, there was that commercial of the guy in coach, you know, who, uh, who just, his eyes are big as he kind of wanders up to the first class. And this beautiful stewardess comes out of first class to greet him and then slams the curtain in his face <laughs> and uh, turns angrily around. And even now, there's the... the the Hulu commercial where it starts out saying, you know, don't ever fly first class, it'll ruin you forever for coach. You know that commercial? 
But anyway, we got to fly first class, and wow, was I excited. Um, I, you know, the, before you even sit down, hardly, the, the steward is there with a menu with entrees to pick from, a hot towel for your face, <laughs> and, you know, slippers for your feet, and eye shades, and, you know, yes, Mr. Grinnell, whatever you want, and... And uh, but the, you know in the entertainment center, and but the best thing was you hit a button and the the seat just goes into a bed. You know, this was Swiss Air. So anyway, <laughs> so you know I thought I don't deserve this, but I'm not going to let that stop me from enjoying it. <laughs> so. Hopefulness like gratitude is to characterize our lives, to radiate from us, even cause people to ask us, why are you so happy? Why are you so hopeful? Um, Indeed, it was that very question that led me to the Lord. I had some friends in high school who had so much joy, and they seemed so together and so happy and hopeful, and I was so dark and hopeless, and I said, what makes you happy? And they all said the same thing, my faith in Jesus Christ. And so that can be our story too. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, to give an account for the what? The hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. May we obey this admonition from Scripture. May we adorn the doctrine of God, as Titus says, which is hope. And then the last exhortation is from Hebrews 6, uh, 19 and 20. This is an admonition to anchor our souls in hope. Verse 19, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. So what do we actually hope for as we look down the road? How about a trumpet blast? like no other trumpet blast that we have ever, ever heard. How about actually seeing the Lord coming in the clouds? How about seeing the dead in Christ rising to meet him, and then our own feet leaving the ground? I've always wanted to fly. I've had gazillion dreams of flying. This will be the real deal. From that point on, we will always be with the Lord. Won't that be wonderful? We'll be introduced to our real home. We will never have felt as home as we're going to feel when we're introduced to heaven. We'll be reunited with loved ones who have already died in Christ. We will receive new resurrected bodies. Anybody in for a new body? 
There will be no more tears, no more tragedies, no more wars or poverty of death. All that will be swallowed up by life and no more pain. There will be unspeakable beauty, unimaginable pleasures and delights. The scriptures say that his right hand, in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We will become like little children again, filled with awestruck wonder, unlimited awestruck wonder. And the glory and the majesty and the splendor of God himself will shine everywhere and all around. Remember what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the mind of man conceived what God has prepared for us. We can be hopeful. We can be hopeful. We, we get to anchor our souls in hope. So as we conclude, we're to set our hope completely in God and what awaits us. We're to hope against hope. We're to be purified by hope. We're to abound in hope. And we're to anchor our soul in hope. Just three more minutes on how we do that. I think first we can increase our focus on what's down the road. We can meditate more on the wonderful gifts that await us, that come with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second, we can determine ahead of time to hope against hope. So even when our hope has been uprooted like a tree, like David, we speak to our souls and we say, why so downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. I will praise him yet again. Third, I think we can adorn the doctrine of God by having a hopeful and radiating a confident, hopeful spirit in all circumstances. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, the scriptures say. And so we can be a healing, soothing medicine to a dark and broken world. And finally, we can use that happy and hopeful spirit to draw others to ask the question that I asked in high school. How is it you're so happy? How is it you're so hopeful? And we can lead others to surrender to Christ. Now, I want to pray for an explosion of hope in our hearts as we officially enter this Christmas season. So would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray some scriptures over us. Father, I pray that the eyes of our heart, hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know, that we may know the hope to which you have called us. The riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, in each other, and his incomparably great power, your incomparably great power toward us who believe. May we gird our minds for action, keep sober in spirit. May we fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And 
Now may the God of hope wash you with hope, with the water of his word, and fill you with all peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask these things in the wonderful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.